Alright. Well, as long as you can hear me, we're good. Alright, well, I'm very grateful to be here uh, today again. I always enjoy coming to visit the Mayhans and uh, to see my Smithville friends, so I'm glad to be back here. Um, before I begin, I just want to give a, a few brief thoughts about uh, my ministry. In September of 2009, the Lord led me to um, launch uh, my ministry in an official capacity, um, and so I formed um, Speaking for Him. And so that's that's where the website comes from. And the reason that I chose that name is because I really want it to be not just a reflection of myself, but a reflection of my Master, Jesus Christ. And I want it to be something that if I pass on, the legacy of it can continue because it's not about me. It's about what He's done through me. And he is opening doors. This past um, March, I was officially recognized by my church as a minister of the gospel, which I was very excited about. And uh, hopefully that will open some more doors. And uh, I've been, like I said, I've been doing the ministry podcast for six months now. And it's been a very um, blessed opportunity. You know, my mom told me from when I was very young that she thought that God had a place for me in radio and to see to see that happening is very exciting and then of course just uh, being able to preach the word of God and being able to continue to to bless others with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been a, an immense blessing and a privilege and I count it as a high calling and I take it very seriously um, so let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll open the word of God together. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, once again for your goodness to us. Father, we do not deserve the least of your blessings, but because of your Son, uh, because of his sinless sacrifice, um, uh, because he became uh, the sins of all men, we were able to become the righteousness of God. And we thank you for that. And we pray that as we open your word, that you would bind Satan, keep him from this place, help your word to go forth with power, and accomplish that for which you have sent it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the, uh, the title of my message today is The Truth Matters. And I want to start out by saying that we have a problem with truth in our society today. We have a problem with truth because we say often, your truth is not my truth. Or my truth is not your truth. But when Jesus was on the earth, he said this. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't leave room for other truths apart from him. He said, the truth. It was a definitive, declarative statement about the truth. And it's kind of interesting that shortly after Jesus made that statement, he's standing before Pilate at his trial. And Pilate says, what is truth? 
Now that's an interesting question as well. What is truth? But if Pilate had been paying attention, he would have realized that the truth was standing right in front of him. So as we begin today, I want you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at some important principles about truth today from this passage. And it's kind of interesting that in Sunday school, we are talking about the first chapter of this book. Because basically in this whole book, Paul knows that he is getting ready to go to heaven. And tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded for the gospel by the Emperor Nero. But anyway, Paul knew that it wasn't going to be long before his ministry on earth was going to be over. And Paul Paul had a great perspective on life. He said, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So he considered life a win-win proposition. Well, let's look at some of this here. Starting with the first five verses, and if you're taking notes, the first point, the first charge that I have for you today is dedicate yourself to the truth. Dedicate yourself to the truth. This is what Paul says starting in verse 1. I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you, be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Paul is saying there's going to be people that are going to challenge the truth of what you're saying. There's going to be people that will redefine the truth of what you're saying. And you must not do that, Timothy. That's what he's saying. And I just see that this passage screams of today. Just a few days ago, before I came here, I saw a post on Facebook and it was an interview with a pastor and he said that Jesus was wrong about the issue of homosexuality. Now, on the surface, for those who aren't believers, they might say, well, Jesus was a man, so he can be wrong. Big deal. We, we have more enlightenment today. So maybe we've figured some more stuff out. But Jesus was not an ordinary man. Jesus was the Son of God. He was tempted in every way in which we are, and yet without sin. And do you realize that if Jesus was wrong 
about the issue of homosexuality, then he was a sinner. Because our uh, interpretation of him as the perfect Son of God cannot be right. Why? Because God changes not. He does not repent of his positions. He is 100% truth 100% of the time. And he doesn't change with the times. There's an old hymn that says, Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Now, in our culture in which we live, things are changing all the time. Faster than we can ever imagine. You know, we get a cell phone, we think it's so cool because it's the latest model, it has all the bells and whistles that you could possibly have, at least that's what we think. And then six months later, there's a new one that promises even more bells and whistles. And actually, we've had so many bells and whistles on cell phones lately that we almost forget that you can make phone calls with them. But anyway, the point being, things change all the time. But Jesus doesn't. I found this um, little story here. It says, Once the devil was walking along with one of his cohorts. They saw a man ahead of them pick up something shiny. What did he find? asked the cohort. A piece of the truth, the devil replied. Does it bother you that he found a piece of the truth, asked the cohort. No, said the devil. I will see to it that he makes a religion out of it. And this is from a from someone named Klein Snodgrass. I'm not sure who that is, but I thought that was a very good, poignant reminder. Because what we're dealing with here is a lot of people that take pieces of the truth and they build a whole theology out of it without rounding out the truth. There are several even prominent quote-unquote Christian pastors who do this because they talk about the love of God. Joel Olstein would be one of these. He talks about the love of God and how great it is and how everyone should experience the love of God. But I've heard him preach two or three times. And I've never heard him talk about the judgment of God. You cannot understand the love of God until you understand the judgment of God. It's only as you understand the sentence of death that you are under that you can understand the love of God that constrained Him to send His one and only Son to die for us. Romans chapter 5 says, Oh, we were yet without strength. Christ died for the ungodly. There's a proverb that says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, sometimes when we are giving the truth to our friends, we have to hurt them. Because the truth hurts. You know, I've had foot infections. I've struggled with them through my life. And if I were to get an infection in my foot and then 
say, oh well, it hurts a little bit, but it's not that big of a deal, so I'm just going to leave it the way it is. I'm not going to worry about it. Then, invariably, I could lose my foot because I thought that the infection was no big deal. And so it is with some of the errors that we have in our churches today. They can mean the difference between heaven and hell. I have a cross-reference here. Could somebody look up and read for me 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-3? to 2 Peter 2, 1-3. Um, as, we, as we think about this, we just... I mean, there's so many issues in our world today. We, we try to paint uh, these moral issues as, as relative. You know, but they connect to so many things. I mean, uh, the president, when, when the Sandy Hook shootings happened in December, and it was awful, 20 young people lost their lives along with six teachers. I cried a lot that day because I have a heart for children. But as I was watching President Obama address the media talking about all these children and all the things they wouldn't get to do because they were taken out by an assassin's bullet, I couldn't help but think of the over 55 million unborn babies whose lives are taken since 1973. And no one bats an eye because we've decided that a moral wrong should be a legal right. Just because something is legally right does not make it morally right. We must stand for the truth on this. You know, our, our society is aging. We have more people over 65 facing retirement than any other demographic right now. And it's because we are killing generations of young people. Does somebody have Second Peter two one to three? Yes. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought who bought them, and bring on themselves with destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. So, yes, three. By covenant, they will ex exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. Alright, so we see even back in the Bible times, people were exposed to errors and truth. And what they'll do is they'll do the same thing that the devil did in the garden. The devil in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, he doesn't just say, come eat this that the Lord said not to. He brings to mind what the Lord said. He says, the Lord said you could eat every tree in the garden of Eden. He allows that truth 
to come out of Eve's mouth. Well, God said we could eat every tree except for this one. And then he makes it look small because he's like, that's one puny tree in the whole garden. Why would you have to bother not eating of that tree? But it doesn't matter how big the tree is because God said no. That we, we, we as Christians, we as people, tend to categorize sin and there's, a, I guess, a certain amount of that in the Bible, but for the most part, every sin against God is still sin, and we need to treat it that way. The second point I want to make today is determine to finish strong. Paul continues in verse six, verses 6 to 8, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. You know, I think about my life and I realize that almost 34 years have passed since God put me on planet Earth. And I don't know how much time I have. I'd like to believe that I still have more than 34 years left. But who really knows? No one does. And I've had, in the last year and a half, two friends that I really appreciated who are quite young one was 28 the other 32 who woke up in the morning and it was just like any other day and without going into detail suffice it to say that that was the day that Jesus said to them come home And as I sat in both of those funerals, the one thing that kept going through my head is, what can I do better? How can I serve God with more fervor, knowing that I don't know how much time God is going to give me? And I've purposed to do that. Do I always succeed? No. But 100% of the time, God is faithful. And until He calls me home, whether that's in 10 years or in 10 minutes, I will proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm praying for extra grace that if the Lord decides to allow Christians in the U.S. to face death by martyrdom, that I want to be ready to die for the Lord. There was a time in our culture, in our, in my growing up years, where I only thought of that as an ag- abstract construct. Didn't think that it would ever come 
to this society. But America today hates God. And if America hates God, they're going to hate me because I refuse to be silent for God. And so I covet your prayers. As the Lord is opening more doors and I'm becoming more known, that I would be known for making Him known. That I would be known for preaching Him crucified, risen, and coming again. And that I would not compromise the foundational truths of Scripture. Um, found this quote from Joseph Stoll. Used to be the president at Moody. Now the president of Cornerstone University in Grand Rapids, Michigan. He says, The Greeks had a race in the Olympic Games that was unique. The winner was not the runner who finished first. It was the runner who finished with his torch still lit. I want to run all the way with the flame of my torch still lit for him. That is what I want. And I pray that that is what you want. It's my earnest prayer. Quite frankly, I think that the church in general is in a state of lethargy today. We, we say that we love Jesus Christ and even for those of us who do, we're kind of just hanging on until He comes again. But as the world gets darker, it needs brighter lights to shine. And I would encourage you to be a part of that. First, in this small little town of Smithville, then throughout Tennessee, then throughout this nation and the world. Let's read a little bit more about Paul's calling in Acts 20:24. 20, Can someone look that up? Find that for me and read it. I can say as we're finding that passage that Paul was very deliberate to do what God asked him to do. You know, the first thing he did after he met Jesus was to say, what would you have me to do? And so often when we're talking about God or talking to God, we say, God, this is what I need you to do for me. And there's certainly a place for that. I'm not saying don't do that. But our first response should be, what would you, Lord, have for me to do? Does somebody have Acts chapter 20? Verse twenty four. So Paul Paul gave up a lot. There's another passage that talks about how he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees and he had everything that the world would consider marks of success and distinction 
He was what the world would call intelligent, accomplished. He was no doubt wealthy. And he gave it all up. Considered it rubbish for the cause of Christ. That brings us to our third point. And this is a good one. It says, depend on God when friends let you down. Depend on God when friends let you down. It says in Second oh, Timothy four nine to sixteen, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica. Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Demolatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for my ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas and the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. Paul was so in tune with the Master that he was able to respond to similar life circumstances in a similar way that Jesus did. I think it's interesting. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. And I myself have to ask myself the question, do I love this world more than I love Jesus Christ? It's a very important question to ask and one that we should ask on a regular basis when we're doing our checkups. We get our car tuned up. Before I came down here, I got the oil changed, made sure the <coughs> engine was running well. We need to do that in our spiritual lives as well. And then he says something very important here. He says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. I want to focus on that a little bit here because if you remember, and I'm going to have somebody read it in just a moment, Paul at one point was very upset with John Mark because he had started out on the journey and then he had walked away. We don't know why. Many people have speculated, but we're not here to speculate. But we do know that John Mark walked away and when when he felt he was ready to come back, he came back and Barnabas said, let's, let's accept John Mark back. Good old Barney, he was always encouraging. And uh, Paul said, no, I, I don't think we should take him with us. So at that point, Paul and Barnabas went their separate ways. But toward the end of his life, Paul says, bring Mark with you because he is useful to me. So no doubt John Mark had done some maturing in the ensuing years. You don't know how many there were, but uh, 
no doubt he had. Let's read a little bit more about it in Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. If someone can find that and read it, Acts 15, verses 36 to 41. Okay, so we see this split, and I, you know, I, I often wonder why they never um, directly show the the resolution of this in Scripture. I mean, were they both right? But I think whatever happened there, the ultimate result was that uh, another team was formed with Paul and Silas, and they were able to reach more people. So God, even in the bad things that happen, can bring good. And then we hear about these people that deserted Paul. Think about what Jesus went through. You know, we hear about Peter's denial. We hear about Judas' betrayal. But there's also an element where they all left. For it says in the Scriptures, all of them, the night he was arrested, forsook him and fled. And Paul is saying, I'm going to leave up to God to deal with Alexander the coppersmith to judge him according to his works. You know, that's what so many people want today. They want to be judged according to their works. But if we were judged according to our works, we would be sentenced to hell. Because our works, even our good works, are tinged with evil. They're as filthy rags. Nothing is good about them. And then my final point. Declare, declare to others the faithfulness of God. It says here, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be glory forever and ever. Amen. I just want to stop here. We don't read an account of this other than this, li this line, so I'm not sure if He was delivered from a actual lion, but I tend to believe so because... Um, as my dad says, and I know he's quoting someone else, if the plain sense makes sense, seek no other sense. So if Paul says that he was delivered from the mouth of a lion, I suppose I'll ask him more details.
when I get to heaven. And then he says, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Even with all the trials that Paul went through, and the, the interesting thing about this is that Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He killed Christians. He was standing, guarding the codes at the death of Stephen. So he knew what it was like to persecute. So he had to know what he was facing when he chose the Lord's side. He continued to be persecuted. There were several times when God rescued him, when God said, it's not your time, Paul. When he said, no one will hurt you because I have more work for you to do. And everything was to bring God glory. After all the things we just read in this passage, Paul is saying to God, be the glory. And then I like this final part because sometimes we need encouragement. Sometimes we need someone to call our name and give us something encouraging to carry on. Sometimes when I'm at my lowest, someone calls me or someone tells me that someone else had something good to say about me and it helps me to be re-energized and encouraged. And no doubt, this is somewhat what Paul is doing here. He says, Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, but Trophimus I have left in Miletus sick. Do your utmost come before winter. Anubilus greets you, as well as Pudens, Linus, Claudia, and all the brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. You know, I don't know how to pronounce very many of these names, but Paul has some pretty fine things to say about them. So, if I ever do have sons, I might have to refer to here, but because it will depend on who I marry, whether I can get away with that. But anyway, um, it, it's just so neat to see not only are you commended publicly to a letter to the churches, but God saw fit to put it in His holy word so that you would be commended for all time. What a wonderful thing that is. But even if I'm not commended by thousands of men, if I hear the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into thy rest at the end of time. That is the most important. For Jesus said to the Pharisees, If you do things for the praise of men, you will have your reward. You know, there are men today that get praise from men all the time. But when they get to heaven and they face the Lord Jesus Christ, and they look 
on his pierced hands and his pierced side and his pierced feet. They will bow down and say he is Lord, but then they will be cast into outer darkness. Because they chose to do so too late. I encourage you to acknowledge Jesus as Lord today while you're still on the earth. But I was talking about this with Brother Ale yesterday. So many people acknowledge Jesus as Lord with their lips. It's actually kind of a cool thing to do in this culture. But unless it translates to your lifestyle, it's not the real thing. And lest we be discouraged and say, I can't be a good Christian. I mess up all the time. First of all, I would say you're absolutely right. You can't be a good Christian. But that's why... Philippians 2.13 is in the Bible. It says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. May we seek as we go through this day and through this week and through this year to will and to do of God's good pleasure by his strength and his strength alone. May God bless you.